Good morning, MRCC. Hey, thanks for joining us online. We love yes. that you're here joining us, coming together as a community That's online. Right. That's right. Well, hey, if you're new with us, go ahead and click that prompt somewhere in the chat, either over here or down there. Or you can simply visit mrccnow.org. We just want to get to know you a little more and get connected. Right, be a part of the online community, but That's also right. MRCC. At some point, come and join us in the building. Yeah. Right? yeah. And uh, you know, we're actually able to be doing stuff, so it's been it's awesome. Pretty there's, awesome. There's stuff on the calendar. Unbelievable. Is, you know, just last week we had our mops kickoff. Uh, we had a little move up for our fifth graders going into cool. culture year. Uh, culture, I might have cried just a little. Oh. You know, leaving kids ministry onto youth. Yeah, but we have a couple things on the calendar. We have a few more things, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, speaking to all my dudes out there, just this Saturday we have the Band of Brothers Golf Tournament. Um, the first tee time's at 7.30, but if you want to sign up and, and, and sign yourself up for a tee time, go ahead and contact Brian at the church office to get signed up. Awesome. Hey, and women's ministry, uh, they're going to do a kickoff on uh, September 18th. We're super awesome. excited for that. Uh, all the women, just come see what we're doing, see what the year has in, in store for us, and hear, hear from God, too. We've got some speakers and treats cool. and coffee and tea, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, also, um, our weekly group, Love and Respect for Couples, and, and um, just a study and lessons about marriage, it starts weekly beginning Thursday, September 17th at 6.30. You know, Stacy and I went through this together, and it was so great, not only for our relationship, but for the relationships, all the relationships in our lives. So yeah. come on down um, beginning September 17th at 6.30. Love and respect, man. That hits home for right. every relationship. Yeah. Right. Friends, kids, parents. Amen. Everything. Yeah, amen. Hey, but uh, we also want to thank you so much for just the generous giving mm. that's been coming in. Yes. We're so grateful and so blessed. It's important to us that we share that with you because, man, we've mm. been able to actually increase some of our giving to our missionaries. Amazing. Uh, many of you might actually know Heather Haney. She was an attender here uh, in our student ministry and everything. Uh, she's a missionary in Nigeria now. Awesome. And, uh, so we've been able wow. to increase giving to her. Also, Chase Olson was an attendee. Yeah. Now he's over at Wazoo. And he's Wazoo. Doing some, yep, Wazoo. He's doing some campus ministry there. So we're just super excited to celebrate uh, as a church yes. family that we're able to increase that giving uh, because of your faithful giving. So thank you. Amen. Wow. So much to celebrate. You know, church, we know that just like we talked about, we're family and we are here to support each other and to be there for each other. We know that this is a difficult time for a lot of us and we feel it. And so we just know that we wanna lend out our hearts and a hand and if you have a need, don't hesitate to contact the church office. We have a team of people who are ready to serve and to assess any need. And so we just wanna let you know that we are here for you as family during this time. You know, especially I think about our parents right now. Mm, yeah. Uh, because the remote learning is going to be a real thing. Homeschooling is going to be right? hard. Um, wow. And you're going to need some things to support your kids. So uh, truly, we our heart goes out to you, but also mm. we want you to know that if you have some needs yeah. for your kids, if you have any school supply needs, but maybe even clothing needs or shoes, right. and your shoes are kind of a big deal, uh, we want to yeah. know. So give us a call and let us uh, see how we might be able to help you with this new um, remote learning situation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're in this together, church. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, we are about to hop into worship, but before we do, we just want to remind you that we are celebrating communion again today. And so just like before, whatever kind of elements you can gather, any kind of juice or cracker or coffee or tea or popcorn, whatever you got in the house or in the pantry or the fridge, grab it, 
Bring it with you. Pretzel, these are great options. Whatever you got, hey, you know what? Go ahead and sound off in the chat. Whatever you're using for communion today, but what an opportunity for us to reflect on the impact of the cross together, Absolutely. amen. And you know what we love? We love it when people engage in the chat. Yeah, It makes us feel that's like awesome. we're part of a community. So while we that's do right. communion together, while we worship together, throw yes. a hallelujah out there. An amen, amen. Yes. share what God is teaching or speaking yes. to your heart in these moments. Let's engage our God together in worship today, shall we? All right, let's go. Good morning, MRCC. Our God is so good. So let us offer him up this praise and worship. We worship you, Lord. Yeah. Savior 
every captive and break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the light, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things, yes, you have done great tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own yes when brokenness and pain is all I know declare this I won't be shaken no I won't be shaken will you lift this up today from our hearts my fear doesn't stand a chance when I Stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, yes Lord, yeah. shame no longer has a place to hide. Captive to the lies. Amen. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. No, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. Yeah. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I
Let us not forget the power of Christ, his death, and his resurrection. How great you are, Lord. We worship you. We declare your goodness. We declare your greatness. We stand in awe of who you are, and we worship you. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Yes, it sings my soul. And sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. Sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Yes, so we sing, then sings my soul. Shall bow in 
world so seemingly changes daily around us father but you remain the same your goodness remains the same let us rest on that truth as your church and we pray amen well church we are about to partake in holy communion together so go ahead and grab those elements that you prepared earlier and let us partake and remember in the power of Jesus together his death and his resurrection you know, we start with the bread. And in his word it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together, church. Lord, we reflect on the power of the cross, your body, which was broken for us, the pain that was dealt, our penalty unto you. Jesus, what more can we say but thank you? But thank you. And then afterwards, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake together, church. Father, we drink from this cup in remembrance of the blood, this new covenant that washes sin white as snow, that you offer to us as a gift, but not without pain, not without penalty, for your son, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you that you love this world so much that you would offer your son on our behalf. And three days later would rise again and that we would celebrate this week after week, day after day, in holy worship and gathering and teaching. Father, we just thank you so much for this gift and this new life in you, for we are raised up to life in Jesus. 
So we offer up our hearts in this time of worship for all that you are. As your sons and daughters, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for gathering with us today. Well, hey, friends, welcome. I'm so glad you could gather with us here today, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening. Just thrilled that you could be with us. And huge thanks, Pastor Weston and the worship team for faithfully working so hard to be able to enable us to worship online. We're deeply appreciative of that. And, but I just want to tell you that I miss you, and I want you to know that personally. We miss you. And, and you know, more and more folks have been making it back, but we're still navigating a lot of stuff, and we completely understand as those, each one of us, each family navigates their own reality. So there's nothing that I'm saying in this moment except that I miss you. We miss you, and we look forward to when we will be reunited in, in person, as we will. Uh, God will lead us all the way through this. We can rest in that. But I just want you to know that you are missed. And that being said, I want, to grab, I want you to grab your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 7 today. And, uh, and while you're doing that, uh, l- let me ask you this. If I, if I were to ask you what you think of yourself, what's your opinion of yourself What would you say if we were just, you know, in a private moment and you could share your own heart on that issue? You know, the truth of the the matter is, is that most of us are not very good at at assessing ourselves, at at judging ourselves. We're either either too lenient or we're way too harsh. Uh, We're either uh, reluctant to admit our strengths for fear of seeming proud or or we're reluctant to admit our weaknesses. for fear of of being too vulnerable. A lot of times we're like that little boy who went out in his backyard to practice hitting a baseball. And since he was by himself, he tossed the ball up in the air and took a big swing at it and completely missed everything. Uh, So a little frustrated, he picked up the ball, tossed it up again, missed again. Third time, picked it up, really determined to make contact this time, tossed it up and missed it again. Stood there for a moment looking at the ball and the grass and then grinned and picked it up and said, man, I'm a great pitcher. (laughs) A lot of times we're like that. Uh, We overlook our flaws and and over appreciate uh, our virtues. You know, we're just not very good at judging ourselves, especially when we do it on our own, which means, friends, that we are even worse at accurately and wisely judging other people. Because if we can't pull that off with us, how much more difficult is it with other people? Jesus talked about that, and he wants to talk to us about it this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, he spoke about that at length. He talked about the fact that we struggle to accurately judge other people. He calls our attention to the fact that we misunderstand their motives. We rarely know their hurts. We only see part of who they are. I think of the prophet who said in 1 Samuel chapter 6, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord judges the heart. It's just that awareness of how much we don't see when we assess somebody else. It's all about the heart that God looks at. 
I know I'm not surprising you or telling you anything you don't know when I say that everybody knows that Captain America is the best of the superheroes, right? Yeah? It's like, you know, my name for the Avengers is Cap and the other guys. You can probably relate to that. But, but here's why. It's not because he's the strongest or the fastest or the smartest. He's not. But it's what's in his heart that matters so much. And God wants us to understand the same thing about us. Even though we see so little of each other, we still have this tendency to believe in our judgments of other people more than we believe God when he tells us we're no good at judging them. Listen, listen to Jesus talking about this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Here's what he says. He says, don't judge, Greg, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, in some ways, this teaching of our Lord is very familiar. In other ways, we completely lose touch with it. In a practical, day-to-day, week-to-week way, we often disconnect completely from it. And, and as a consequence, we have a, a tremendous ability to deceive ourselves about ourselves. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. As we're going to see this morning as we explore together, that's really what he's getting. I remember, I remember the first time that I saw myself on video playing basketball. It was an eye-opening experience. Because see, up to that point, when I was just playing, I had these pictures in my head of what I looked like. And in my head, I looked graceful, I looked coordinated, I looked like I knew what I was doing all the time. But when I saw myself on video, it reminded me of a, a gorilla on roller skates. You know, it reminded, I didn't look at all in real life like I looked in my head. Much less ballet dancer than bull in a china closet. I remember how eye-opening that was to me. And then I remember realizing, wow, it's really easy to deceive myself about myself. And Jesus wants to talk about that with us a little bit. And, and let's begin by remembering a story about the power of self-delusion. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's a story about King David. And in the story, we see how bad he had become at assessing himself, at judging himself. The Bible tells a story about how God helped him get in touch with the truth about himself. He seeks to do that with all of us. Not that he might condemn us, but that he might grow us, mature us, father us. And in this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says this, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet. It was his job to speak the word of God. And, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, when Nathan came to David, he told him a story. He said, there were two men in a certain town. This is Nathan speaking to the king. One rich and the other poor. 
And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Some of us have pets like that, and we understand immediately what was happening here. But then a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, one of his many sheep or cattle, to prepare a meal for this traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. Hearing this story, the Bible says David burned with anger against that man. There's a whole backdrop of Middle Eastern hospitality expectations and cultural norms that are part of this story. When someone came, you had a responsibility to be hospitable. It was a spiritual imperative. And, and David recognized that, and he hears this story of a rich man taking advantage of a poor man to provide hospitality. And the Bible says he burned with anger. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, you hear David's spiritual context there, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You know, we hear that story and we understand David's reaction. We would feel the same way. We know that he's right. We feel his anger and his sense of injustice. But just like Jesus, the prophet Nathan was telling that story for a reason. When David responded that way, verse 7 tells us, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This story is about you. Now there's, there's some background here. Let me, let me give it to you. See, here's what happened. The previous chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11, tells a story about how David lusted after the wife of another man. The scripture says David was at home when he should have been leading his army. He was, you know, idle hands or the devil's playground, and he was just hanging out, not owning his responsibilities, and he took notice of a woman named Bathsheba. She was married, belonged to another man, but David began to lust after her. And he sent for her and brought her to his house, and he slept with her. And then having done that, it turned out that she was pregnant, and David saw the problem in front of him. And so the Bible says that David, David did a horrible thing. He sent word to his army, to the general of his army, and he said, hey, this, this woman's husband, I want you to send him home and tell him to spend some time with his wife, and that way we can kind of cover this pregnancy. And the man was sent home, but when he got home, he said, how can I sleep with my wife when all my fellow soldiers are on the front lines? He said, I, uh, I'm one of them. Uh, that would be dishonorable. And so he refuses to sleep with her, which leaves David still facing the same problem. So what does David do? David tells his general to put her husband, Uriah, in the very front lines of the battle, then to have the army suddenly retreat around him so that Uriah would be struck down on the battlefield. And that's exactly what happened. He died. And then David took Bathsheba for his own wife. It's a horrible, horrible story. But as horrible as it is, it was a secret that David learned to live with. 
He learned to live with it so well that when Nathan told him the parable, David couldn't even see that he was the subject of it. He was unable to recognize himself in the story. That can happen to all of us. That can happen to any of us. Jesus says that it happens all the time. And he says it's like having a plank in your eye. It prevents you from being able to see clearly. The, the Greek word for plank is just a very large piece of wood. So some translations will render it a log in your eye. The, the idea is the same. It's blinding. You can't see straight because of it. That can happen to any of us. That does happen to all of us. I remember one afternoon when my friend Pastor Zach said to me when we were both struggling through the challenges of raising teenagers, and in the middle of our conversation, he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, Pastor Greg, you have so much grace for so many people and sometimes so little for your own son. And when he said that, I was floored. <laughs> I kind of felt like David did when Nathan spoke to him in this moment because he was right. He was right. And I thought to myself, how did I miss that? How had I missed that? Of all people, it was my desire to give grace first to my son. And yet somehow I had lost touch with it. That can happen to all of us. That does happen to all of us. The Apostle Paul, recognizing that we're not very good at judging ourselves, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, these words. He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. What Paul was confessing in that moment was his poor ability to judge himself, to assess himself. And it's when you, you recognize that, you own that, you know that, that's the first step to getting beyond it. There is a strong and deep humility that flows from remembering this. Lots of times people will say, my conscience is clear, so I'm good with God. Well, oftentimes your conscience is clear because your standards are so low. God says, hey, I'm the one who sets the standards. You need to let me judge you. You need to let me help you judge you, both for good and for bad. And that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, King David spends large parts of his life showing dramatic faith and obedience to God and righteous living. And even in this moment when he's so blind, he, he, he says, as surely as the Lord lives, he, he perceives himself to be on the right path, shocking as that may seem. And yet he had still lost the ability to see clearly his own sin. I, I, I wonder if that's true of you these days. Have you, like David, lost the ability to see clearly your own sin, your own guilt, your own failures? Some of us don't struggle with that. Many of us do. You know, in a moment, we're going to talk about the difference between judging people and judging behavior. But first, just let this sink in. God doesn't warn us about judging other people because he's indifferent to sin, but because you and me aren't capable of clearly assessing it, of accurately identifying it, and of speaking to it with his spirit. You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon and his wife 
raise chickens for many years, but would never give any of their eggs away, even though they were well off. They wouldn't even give them to friends and relatives, not even when those people asked. They would always insist on being paid market price. This went on for so long that people labeled them greedy and grasping. And they never defended themselves against that charge. They just continued insisting on full price for their eggs. It was only after they passed away that it was discovered that all their lives, the proceeds from their eggs had gone to take care of two elderly widows in their church to whom they had promised their care. And only then did everything become clear. Lots of people had judged them not knowing the truth. And we do the same thing. You and I have a hundred opportunities every single day to judge people. God says don't. And it's not just because he's being strict. Let's dig a little deeper here. And let's understand, first of all, that this passage we just read has often been massively abused. When Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, King James Version that I learned growing up, when he says that, oftentimes we come to the conclusion that, that right or wrong should never be identified or called out, that sin should never be identified. And anyone who wants to do what's wrong in the instant you tell them it's wrong will tell you that you're judging them. Sometimes Jesus' people get so confused about this that we start thinking that sin shouldn't be confronted. That's the attitude in our culture these days. The prophet Nathan shows that that's not true because God sent Nathan to bring David out of his self-delusion and deception to rescue him from it. But there's a crucial distinction and it's got two parts to it. First of all, uh, Jesus very definitely calls us to judge ourselves and invites us to let him help us with that. In fact, that's the first thing you are equipped to do is to judge yourself. Look at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. He invites us to engage in that process and to help us with it. Nothing will improve your vision of yourself and other people like self-examination and the confession that comes with it. But Jesus isn't saying that no one is ever capable of seeing someone else clearly enough to make a judgment of them. He's saying that we can't see clearly until we judge ourselves. And that's a big deal. I remember when I played soccer in college, our, our team lost a lot. It was frustrating. As the captain of the defense, I would get particularly frustrated when we give up three, four, five goals in a game. One time we were playing a school down in Oregon and we were getting beaten and I was getting frustrated with our goalkeeper. And I said to our coach at halftime, I said, coach, look, just put me in goal. Okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. About 10 minutes later, the other team scored a goal right through my legs. <laughs> what we call a nutmeg in the soccer world. That was embarrassing. Ten minutes later, though, another guy tricked me so bad that he dribbled the ball into the goal without even having to shoot it. <laughs> Next time there was a stoppage in play, I raised my hand and said, Coach, get me out of here. <laughs> I've learned something about myself. And after that, I, I never criticized our keeper again. Jesus is talking about learning that sort of attitude. Someone has pointed out that Jesus never said, hate the sin, uh, or Jesus said, hate the sin and love the sinner. But Jesus never said that. 
In fact, what he said, in essence, was love the sinner and hate your own sin. I mean, there's a world of difference between those two attitudes. And the reason he says that is so that we can see clearly. When you take the plank out of your own eye, then you're able to see to help your brother. You know, after you've been the parent of a teenager, you know how hard it is, how rewarding it is, too. And because you've been through it, you become incredibly empathetic and patient and kind and graceful towards those who are still going through it. That's what Jesus is seeking in us. And that's why the Bible will explicitly tell us in other places to exercise judgment. We get confused and think that Jesus is saying here we should never call a spade a spade or say wrong is wrong. But no, no, no. The Bible tells us, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, that the spiritual man judges all things. When you're spiritual, as defined above, then you can see. But notice, the spiritual man judges all things. What Jesus wants to draw a distinction between in our hearts is judging behavior or ideas versus judging people. Jesus says we're not equipped to judge people well. We are equipped to judge behavior and ideas. That's the nature of being spiritual. Part of that is once you begin to judge yourself by God's word, once you begin to ask him to help you doing that, you do become able to judge behavior and ideas. As a follower of Jesus, you probably know that lots of things the world accepts are wrong in his eyes. They twist your heart and mind, create a lifestyle of slavery. They destroy your ability to live the kind of life God wants for you. Sin is the poisoning of the self. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They include sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. They include idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those, who, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is our sacred duty to point out the wrong of some ideas and behaviors. Most of your New Testament is the apostles doing exactly that for our benefit. And if we think when Jesus says, don't judge, that we're not to call behaviors and ideas that are wrong, wrong, then you're missing the point. What Jesus is saying is, Greg, judge yourself first. Ask God to help you judge yourself. Then you'll be able to clearly judge behaviors and ideas. This is so important because it changes our spirit. It changes our attitude. You see, friends, the way we confront sin, wrong behaviors and attitudes, is as important. The way we do it is as important as the confrontation itself. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 8 to the woman caught in the act of adultery, at the end of it, after rescuing her from those who wanted to condemn her, he says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. In that moment, he's judging her behavior, but he's doing it from a place of love and grace. And that is what you and I are called to. Richard Needham said, the man who is always brutally honest enjoys the brutality more than the honesty. And that is profoundly true. And the Lord wants to steer us away from that because we are his people. These days in our culture, if we say a behavior is wrong, we're accused of judging the person, but we're not. 
We're judging the behavior and the idea. Every good parent knows the difference because they judge their children on the basis of love. When we tell our kids they're wrong about something, it's not because we don't love them, it's because we do. And because we love them, we know how to judge their behavior without condemning them. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. So let's not misunderstand Jesus' warning about judgment. He's not saying we shouldn't say stuff is wrong. He is saying we should make sure we've ruthlessly condemned our own sins before we call out someone else's. And he's saying that we judge behavior and ideas without judging people. But he also says something in this passage that's incredibly exciting. And, and that's the last part of what we want to share this morning. Look at verse 2. He says, For in the same way you judge others you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, when we hear that, our tendency is often to, to hear it negatively, as if Jesus is saying, God will get even with you if we do this. But it's also possible to hear this positively, that Jesus is saying, hey, Greg, I'm going to give you a way to ensure that my grace is always abundantly available to you. And the way that I'm going to give that to you is, with the measure you use, I will measure it to you. I take great joy in knowing that, because I know I need a lot of God's grace. And I know that I'm sure to get it if I give a lot of God's grace. Jesus wants you to take that idea away in this moment. He wants you to understand that you have the power to ensure that the grace you need will be abundantly given to you. This is important to grasp. This is important to understand. You know, when our son Isaiah was small, uh, here's a slide from, from those days. And I ran across this the other day. And, you know, it's just such a cute picture. And remember, that's how God sees us as his children. But when he was small, our family used to really enjoy every summer going to the Laytaw County Fair over in northern Idaho where we lived. It was, it was a small town fair, not huge, uh, but just big enough that you could go to it as a family, have a wonderful time, let your kids run loose, not be afraid or worried. Uh, we have very warm memories of the Laytaw County Fair. One of the things we always did because uh, when we took Isaiah, him being an only child, we always took a couple of other kids, a couple of his friends, or hooked up with another family. And one of the things we, we did was we would always give Isaiah a certain amount of mad money at the beginning of the fair so he could buy tickets and, and you know, ice cream cones or whatever. But then we would watch how he handled his money with his friends. If we saw him being generous with them, we would always very deliberately give him more money, give him more of an opportunity to share. But if we saw him being, you know, kind of selfish and miserly and not willing to share, well, then when he came and asked for money for something else, we would say no. And slowly he picked up on what we were doing, which was exactly what we wanted to happen. And Jesus is saying that God does the same thing with us. He invites us to use a generous measure when we give grace to those around us, to judge them with great grace and, 
he says when we do, then he pours out his abundant grace on us. This is a big thing to grasp. This is what Jesus is driving at when he talks to us about judging. And so James tells us in James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, the law of Jesus' finished work on the cross, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, and the opposite, great mercy will be shown to those who have mercy triumphs over judgment, James says. Why is that? How is that? Because when mercy is given, then it is received. God wants us to grasp that. Lots of people talk about being unable to forgive themselves. You learn how by forgiving others. Lots of people struggle to receive God's grace. You learn how by giving it to others. And that's what Jesus is driving at when he talks to us about judgment. You know, I remember when I was in the military, I worked for a year in the inpatient drug and alcohol treatment center at uh, the Naval Hospital there in Bremerton. And, and in that treatment center where we were working with people seeking to recover from alcoholism and, and addiction, every morning in the common room, uh, the chairs would be arranged in a circle. And as people came back from breakfast, they would sit in those chairs. And, and there came a point in the, in the morning where suddenly everybody would get up out of those chairs and make a circle and put their arms over each other's shoulders. And the counselor explained to me once that that process was very deliberate because when someone was new at the, at the treatment center, they didn't see that coming. And when everybody else stood up and made a circle, often they would hang back because they were surprised and didn't know that they were supposed to be part of that circle. And the circle would form and they would wait for an invitation. The counselor explained to me that no invitation was ever given. And there was a reason for that. The reason was that the first thing you learn in the drug and alcohol treatment center is that you're an addict or an alcoholic and you have to admit that. You have to confess that. You have to give an accurate judgment of yourself. People resist, they resist, they resist. But then inevitably, there comes that morning, usually a couple days, sometimes a week or so into the program, when that person who hadn't been part of the circle suddenly anticipates the forming of the circle and they get up and they join it. And the counselor explained that is a crucial moment because in that moment, those people are embracing everyone else as recovering alcoholics and addicts and they're confessing that they themselves are the same thing. That's where their healing begins. And once I understood that and started watching that, it was amazing. In the same way, God invites us to recognize that we need His help to judge ourselves. And the more we receive it, the more we are able to help others in love and in grace, the more we're able to confront wrong in the right spirit, and the more we're able to receive God's grace for ourselves. And so Jesus teaches us to walk in that habit of removing the speck from our, or the log from our own eye before we aim at the speck in someone else's. If that's something you struggle with, God wants to help you with that right here and right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for showing us the way of life. And God, this morning we confess to you that often we give ourselves permission to judge others 
often harshly, just like King David did, forgetting that we ourselves are sinners saved by grace. Help us, Lord, to grow past that. Help us to humble ourselves before you so that we can say, like we do to our kids, that's wrong, that's not good. Turn away from that, but do it in the way you do, in the spirit you desire for us. We pray for that. God, teach us that your call to us is to say to a wayward world, that's wrong, that's right. But teach us to do that the same way you did, with abundant grace, because we have been humbled. We pray for that. Lord, as we go from here today, help us to know that we can assure ourselves of all the grace we'll ever need by simply being willing to give it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us again this week. Can't wait to gather with you again in person when the time is right. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them.